I'm in Berlin, and I'm just about to get on a metro towards Kreuzberg, where I will meet up with today's guest, Torsten Kiefer. Torsten is the co-founder and CEO of WASH United. WASH is an acronym for Water, Sanitation and Hygiene. And WASH United are developing cutting-edge solutions within those areas. Navigating through the streets of Berlin, asking people for direction, I finally found my way to their office. Their office has huge windows towards the street that reminds you of an old clothing store that used to be there. The street is quiet, only a few cars passes by as I was wandering back and forth not to be too early for the interview. Through the windows you could spot a guy with a beret on his head, and that was Torsten. And once I got into the office, I had such a warm and excited energy that washed over me when I greeted him. He gave me an excellent cup of coffee while telling me about Wash United. You could really see how much it means to him. When we sat down to rig the equipment, Torsten spotted my wooden pearl bracelets on my wrists. I really like your bracelet, Philip. Where did you get that from? Um, these ones? Yeah. I the, the one is green, the other one is red. Yeah. Is that is that made from wood? Uh, yes, it is actually, and I got them from I think it was um, I'm not I think it was my Guatemala trip mm-hmm. actually when I was there mm-hmm. uh, like one one and a half year ago or something. But now mm-hmm. it's like suntan as you can see. It's it's not as green as it was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like them. And, and, and there's actually like a, a very specific question why I'm asking. You know that one of the campaigning formats that we do is, is Menstrual Hygiene Day, yeah. right? Menstrual Hygiene Day takes place on 28 May, 28.5. And that date is no coincidence. It's 28 because a female cycle typically takes 28 days to be completed. Yeah. And a woman or girl bleeds for five days. So 28, 5, 28 May, Menstrual Hygiene Day. And one tool that is being used um, to visualize um, the period, um, also like in developing countries and as part of our work, is, is what we call a menstrual hygiene bracelet. So there you have 28 beads, um, out of which 23 have like a certain color and five of them are red, which enables girls to understand the circle, how the, the cycle goes and, and to also like count and predict when, when the period comes. So we're right now looking at creating a menstrual hygiene day bracelet and, and we're, we're looking at different product options so we've been thinking of glass beads and but i really like the the wooden ones so i'm going to take a picture of those yeah, of, course. <laughs> of course torsten is a social entrepreneur that began by studying at law school but during his studies he started to feel a lack of passion he was so much more drawn to human rights and environmental issues instead. So to challenge himself, he decided to move to Venezuela to study abroad. One of the very few law students who have ever done that. That trip changed him. And finally, he started to find more meaning to his studies. And once he got back to Germany, he decided to study a master in Amsterdam that was called Human Rights and International Law. 
and that became the start of the career path he had chosen. Just to also mention a few notes about Torsten is that he is, or at least was, a big football fan and he lives in the area of Kreuzberg together with his wife, his two kids and two cats. So, Torsten, can you please explain to me how did Wash United come about? Two thousand nine um, was that the World Cup in South Africa was coming up mm. um, in two thousand ten, and a lot of the organizations I, I I knew and I've been working with in the in the social change field were were starting initiative around the World Cup, and it was, you know, like um, kick for education and score against malaria and do this against polio and that against this and, you know, back then new data had come out from the Lancet um, journal that that found that diarrhea caused by dirty water and, and poor sanitation and, and bad hygiene conditions was the number one killer of children in Africa. And I was like talking to organizations, hey, you know, this is the data we have. It's hand washing and toilets. Mm. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't the World Cup be like a great opportunity to to take those neglected and, you know, in, in terms of sanitation, even taboo issues out of the, the shadows and get people to talk about that and understand, you know, like, yes, you know, polio, malaria, HIV, AIDS, it's all critical. But, mm. you know, diarrhea is killing more kids mm. than those three combined. We need to also talk about that. Yeah. And everybody was about, yeah, you know, like mm, toilets. We don't think David Beckham wants to talk about toilets. So, you know, like, let's let's keep it with education. Well, you know, and, and that was like, you know, screw it. <laughs> okay, then let me try. And I called a friend who who has like a, a senior position at Bayern Munich. And I remember that I basically asked him over um, a call, you know, like what he thought of the idea of asking Bastian Schweinsteiger and other Bayern Munich superstars if they would like to be champions for toilets in Africa. And he, he fell silent for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like he wasn't sure like whether, you know, like I was taking him for a ride or not. But then, you know, like we talked more, he was like, you know what, you know, like that actually let me let me ask them. And I was like, wow, okay, so he's not declaring me crazy. He's, and he asked them, and he said, you know, we understand that. That's a good thing to do. And yeah, let's do it. Mm. And basically then I, I talked to other sector organizations, you know, like football superstars are willing to become champions with holidays in Africa. And they were like, yeah, of course, you know. Yeah. No, no, really. And uh, that, that just triggered a whole lot of things in terms of like sanitation campaigning. And within a year back then, we had set up like a campaign across like eight countries in Africa around okay. the World Cup um, that used um, football stars um, as, as champions um, for sanitation and hygiene in, in, in these countries and in Africa in general. And then the World Cup was over and, and I thought, you know, like, okay, now this kind of like is done and, and nobody, you know, like, well, we want to know more about it. But everybody was like, okay, this was great. You know, this really changed about like how we talk about these difficult issues and mm -hmm. Let's do more about that. And, um, you know, we we'd learned a lot around this campaign back then, you know, like my, my co-founder Søren, who used to run a, a commercial um, communications agency for, for 20 years um, and who was 
been my partner in crime ever since. Um, he he also thought, you know, like, no, there's, there's much more to that. And then people, not just from African countries, but also from India started coming to us telling, hey, you know, like, we've seen what you do. Um, in India, we have a much bigger problem in terms of sanitation when we have the sport called cricket mm. that is crazy popular. Can't we do anything about that? And we were like, okay, so, you know, hmm, you know, maybe maybe there's more to that. Maybe we're, we're kind of like, we're, we're up to something that is bigger than, you know, like just this World Cup in, in Africa. And we, we continue to work and, 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 and expand to India. And yeah, in India then, like we, we did our first really big campaign in, in 2012. Yeah. That was basically like a traveling carnival um, about toilets and hygiene that was, that was running through half the country. Yeah. That, that created like massive, massive like um, awareness um, and, and really started to change the dialogue around sanitation in India and back Back in these days, we, we, we piloted a first laboratory on menstrual hygiene management with, with a UN partner agency together, WSCCC. And, and back then we saw that, you know, that, that there was so much demand from women and girls around to, to learn more about periods um, that we directly had to close down this laboratory because, you know, we just couldn't manage the demand. Okay. And at the same time, um, we also learned that decision makers, especially male decision makers, were really not willing to engage on the issue yet. So basically when we did this campaign, the day before the launch, the minister told us that he would not have us talk about periods on his press conference. So we had a long and hard discussion with him about that and he allowed us in the end. And then at the first event, I was standing next to him when he was telling his secretary, you know, looking at how many women and girls want to get in there, maybe we have to rethink this issue. So this was also like, aha, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> there is something. So, and that, that kind of like was, was what also triggered us thinking more about like this whole issue of menstrual hygiene management, education around menstrual hygiene management and, and, and campaigning around menstrual hygiene management that is now a, a really, really, really big part of our work. And I, and I have to say, you know, like as, as Wash and I as an organization, we've, we've, really, we've really always tried to, to use our skills yeah. um, in, in terms of like being able to um, create um, cutting edge creative solutions um, um, to, to where we saw we could add most value to overall sector efforts. And, and in 2010, sanitation was still like very much a taboo. Mm. And back then, that was, that was like the big issue. Um, right now, the, the government of India is running national campaigns that are making huge strides. Um, we're not needed anymore, you know, like to, to break the taboos around toilets mm. um, at the global level. But menstrual hygiene management now, that is, that is the, the last kind of like really big kind of like neglected issue yeah. in the in this whole sanitation field which is why we've we've also like in our focus on campaigning we've we've had quite a shift from from the sanitation topic to to the menstrual hygiene management topic now because we simply see that there's so much more demand and need in that field why why is it such a taboo uh, mm -hmm. around uh, regarding this uh, menstrual hygiene issue well it's um it's a it's a cultural taboo in um in, in in many countries it's like age old 
age-old uh, taboos and stigma that are associated with with menstruation and menstrual blood and and they're not just like in developing countries but they they used to be here in 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 uh, western europe too i mean like um i i often talk to to you know like um to uh, to women about um and and also like to older ladies about about menstruation i had this really interesting chat at um my my wife's um, uncle's uh, birthday party with his like about 80 year old sister mm. um, where she she asked me like what do I do as a child and I said you know like I do campaigning on periods and she went oh wow <laughs> <laughs> and and we we started having this great conversation where she told me I, I told her about some of the taboos and stigma in India and she said you know when I was a young girl like back in the in the in the 1920s mm. um, and 30s um, People were thinking that if a if a menstruating girl touched the milk, it would go sour. Mm. That's exactly the same taboos that you now still have, you know, like in 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 Kenya or or like India. That you know, like if a girl touches the pickles, they will go bad. If a girl um, touches the cow um, in in Kenya, it will it will go sick and you know eventually die. If a girl waters the plants when on her period, mm. they will kind of like die. So like. It's like it's like cultural taboos um, that that come from the perception that like yeah a menstrual a menstruating woman is 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 like is like unclean and and that um, periods and period blood and itself is is, is unclean yeah mm. I think it has a lot to do also with um, yeah um, male dominated societies it's it's something of course that has to do with like the the patriarchate it's like um, um, telling women not to be allowed to go to the temple when when you're on your period enables to enabled men to to in exclude women from from social gatherings it it took power from women and and put it in the hands of men who um, excluded and keep excluding women because of like a normal physical function and i'm i'm really intrigued because this this podcast is regarding like system thinking and, mm -hmm. and and meeting some of the entrepreneurs that thinking about the bigger picture rather mm -hmm. than just the point of like I'm going to solve this issue. Yeah. Like they think about like what will that have effects afterwards as yeah. well. And I'm yeah, 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 I'm yeah. really curious because we talked a little bit about a little bit about it before. Mm -hmm. But what kind of you said that you worked in a huge system. Mm -hmm. And can you please explain that a little bit more? Uh, mm -hmm. What kind of system that you are operating within? and uh, maybe some challenges that you yeah, see in that yeah, system. Yeah. So basically, like the, the, the larger system that w we, don't, we don't work within just like national systems, like a national education system, but the, the main systems that, that I would, would say that we work in are, are like larger systems, like how the development sector as such um, works to 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 raise awareness around issues to change public attitudes uh, and to, to 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 catalyze action but then also like how the development sector as as such um approaches working on on hygiene education uh, um, on, on on menstrual hygiene education and and i think like what you what you what you often see is that um, many people think that that the development sector is like the sector where everybody has, you know, like 
the exactly same goals and you know like everybody collaborates and everybody you know like creates synergies and leverages each other's um, resources which would be nice but i mean like the development sector to be honest um, is is a, a industry like like many other industries i mean like we we have other measures of success but it's still about like finding funding for for your work and you know paying your teams and um, re reaching the results that you have in your work plans and um, there is a lot of competition in this sector too and there's a lot of um, reinventing the wheel and, and, and duplication of efforts um, and especially like among like the larger organizations um, so basically when when we looked at the system for instance on and, and we've, we are also part of that system. We work in that system for, for MHM education, for instance. Um, as Wash United, we, we see ourselves very clearly as, as an organization that has, that has a specific skill set. Our skills is not on feed on the ground, implementation on the ground. We never want to be an organization that has like um, 50 country offices and um, 20,000 people that, that go to the schools and implement. We want to be a very small, lean organization that has two skills. We, we understand how the development sector works. We know how advocacy works. Mm. And we have in-house, senior level, creative talent. So as I said, like our, our co-founder, Søren, um, who leads all our creative work, he's been doing that for 20 years. Um, we have, we have cutting-edge in-house expertise in, in how to, to do design thinking, user-centered design processes, and, and how to create high-quality creative content. That is, that is what we can do, and that is, that is what we focus on. Then we focus on creating content not just for us, but for other organizations in the sector. So, so rather than looking at us, you know, like doing the whole value chain of creating tools and rolling them out, we are looking at Washington as an organization that, that creates tools as well as we can using user-centered design principles and other cutting-edge approaches that other organizations are not capable of implementing in a stringent way to create best-of-class products that then we make available to all these organizations in the field that have their strength in implementation, that have the boots on the ground. So we're, we're always trying to create, in the areas of work where we are active, these ecosystems where we are responsible for the, the product design development and the distribution of those and also building the partnerships then and finding the partners that can use them to together create impact at scale. Mm. And I think that is that is that comes with um, thinking that is that is a very unusual for and, and counterintuitive for like a lot of organizations. For instance, I, I showed you the MHM education guide that which is our, our latest, newest product that is the result of a one year user centered design process in India where we went through countless iterations with girls, with teachers, with trainers to come up with a product that is as relevant, as useful, as easy to use and as scalable and low cost as possible. Mm -hmm. um, that is a best of class product. It's been tested. It's now going to scale. Um, when you look at that product, it doesn't have our logo on it. Mm -hmm. that, that's counterintuitive to anybody. We invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in that and a year of our work and we don't put our logo on it. Why? 
because if we put our logo on it, we decrease the ownership and incentive for implementing partners to take it. So, and that's again counterintuitive. When this product goes to the schools, I don't really, couldn't care less whether a girl or a teacher in a school knows who Wash United is. We don't, it's not necessary. We need them to know who the local implementing partner is because if they have a question, they have to go back to them. If and they can also go back to you if they need they to. They can go know. back to us if they need to yeah. be, but the people in the school, you know, they need to they need to know who the local implementing yeah, partner exactly. is. And the local implementing partner, they need to have the maximum incentivation to roll it out at scale. Mm. And for that, they get their logo on it, not mm. us. No. We don't need that. So I but these are, you know, like these are principles almost like in, in, in the software industry, you would call that, it's not exactly a white label, but it's, it's like white label-ish, yeah. you know? Mm. Um, doing products that are almost like white label that you give to partners, include your own brand on it, run with it, report back to us. Um, but, you know, basically it's almost like yours. Um, those are, those are counterintuitive for, for a lot of organizations and, and that also for us have, have now, you know, like have taken a long journey where, you know, like when the first products you develop, you want to, you can either kind of like keep them very close to you and control implementation, then you're not going to go get scale. Mm. Or you can, you know, like step back, let them lose, give partners ownership and, and let them run with it. And for us, like the, the next level that we're now thinking about is, you know, like to actually turn that into a social franchise system where you actually also then give partners the opportunity to earn money with it at the local level, to have even more incentive, mm. where, where our role is even more reduced. But, but this for us, you know, like um, going from everybody creates their own solutions and implements them to, to basically um, focusing content creation to, to an expert organization like us that gives stuff for, for free without license fees, and almost as a wide label to implementing organizations around the world is a solution that we are now seeing is, is really disrupting the system of like how MHM education works. Just to give you an idea, um, we have partner organizations that have fantastic solutions that cost $500 a school. They are wonderful, they are great, they are beautiful, they have everything you want but you cannot implement them at scale. They themselves don't have the money to implement them at scale. This solution now costs you a maximum of $5 per school. And this now becomes doable. So we rolled this out in India with about 45,000 girls last year um, after completion. Then we did an advocacy workshop with the government of the state of Andhra Pradesh and showed them this tool. The government of Andhra Pradesh was so impressed with the results and the low cost that they saw hey, we can afford to scale that across the state. We signed a contract now with them through which they will, using their own resources, their own implementing structures that already exist, no money from us needed, no. to take this education tool to 11,000 schools reaching 2.4 million girls this, this, this first half year, using their own money. So this is, this is something where, you know, two point f reaching 2.4 million girls is... And I'm, this is, I, I don't know any, you know, besides like the really big global player organizations mm -hmm. that have 
like like Procter and Gamble, for instance, who is a partner of ours through their programs, they they educate 17 million girls a year. That's the biggest education program we're aware of. But this basically comes comes right behind that, and we enable that change with a team of 12 people in two offices. So it's like the leverage that we create with with this approach is 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 just just really massive. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear. And like, it's disruptive in many ways. Like, yeah. for example, you're saying like, not put, putting the wash brand on it. Yeah. Because you create the ownership, which yeah. is a really mature way of thinking like you're, you're operating within cultural, uh, cultural places where it's, it's far away from how it is here in Germany, yeah. how it is in Europe, you know, uh, in, in Kenya, as you've been working with, I, I imagine, you know, how they work is so different from yeah. how Germany yeah. works. And uh, w one thing I, I think sparked within me was also like this, um, you, um, you don't sell the license of this product, you give it away, the content and yeah. everything. So I'm, I'm just curious to know, and I think some of the listeners might be curious, mm -hmm. how do you fund yourself mm -hmm. in this way? Mm -hmm. uh, I think mm -hmm. that, that is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and, and that's, a, that's a very, very good question. And that's also kind of like a challenge to, you know, like some of the, uh, the listeners that might be interested in to, to think more about that. So right now, our model is that we do have, we do work with foundations and other um, donors that um, fund us for the development of the product and um, the, the achievement of certain reach. So um, that, is, that is part of the package that, that we commit to, to, yeah. to our um, implementing partners. Um, and, but but it's, a, it's a very good question, you know, because um, normally then the normal idea or the, the first kind of like idea everybody has is like, oh yeah, you know, you have a great product, you take a license fee. But the problem is like um, this menstrual hygiene management education is something that you know like now that you know about it and that now when i tell you that like in india 50% of girls have no idea what a period what their period is before they get it mm. they they don't know anything i mean we, we've personally met girls that that told us that you know like that when they had their first period they thought they were dying from cancer oh my God. they were they were on their way to school they were running home to see their parents who say you know bye bye before they would die oh my god so there's, it's, and that's 50% of the girls in India who have no idea. And the, the figures are, are not very much higher, like in many developing countries. And in Africa, there is, there is huge stigma attached to it. There is, there is girls missing schools. There is, there is drop of confidence. It's a, it's a big issue. Still, still, menstrual hygiene management education is, is not, is, is such like such a, a niche issue still that you know, you have to be happy that a local NGO wants to take it on. Very difficult, you know, like, do they have money for it? Very hard to find. A lot of them do it because, you know, they really want to do it. Is there, is our governments investing resources in it from that, that could give you a license fee? No. Could your local NGOs give you a license fee? Uh-uh. Yeah. So, so we are actually also rethinking that because right now the entire field of sanitation, hygiene, menstrual hygiene management education is still charity and grant driven. What business models can you create around that? How could we, from you know, like disseminating our cutting edge tools to partners, generate income, ideally not from the partners in the field, but from third sources? Mm. 
that that pay us for the partners using it. So this this is this is like thinking that we have and and yeah we're, we're right now for instance we're, we're in conversations with some of our um, corporate partners to think about you know can we for instance use a a educational tool like this not to do like you know traditional product marketing but content marketing mm. in the sense that you add components that are that are an added value for the girls but you do actually give a brand a certain visibility not as you know like hey buy my product but here this is meaningful content presented to you by so you know like like a google is funded through ads yeah um could that be something that that enables us to to generate income through our educational tools and and we're, we're starting to experiment um with that but it's it's early stages and it's it's honestly it's we don't know any other partners in this whole field of water sanitation and hygiene education that actually have tried stuff like that. Yeah. So a challenge wow. to everybody here at Chaos Pilot. If you want to <laughs> think with us about that, here are the economics professors and everybody. Um, Philip has my number. Yeah, <laughs> that's, well, that's <clears throat> incredible. And, and that's um, also, you talked about this being, you don't want to be this 200 people organization. Yeah. You want to be this small organization, which yeah. allows you to try stuff like this yeah. in a much faster pace. Exactly. Yeah, which is incredible. And, and many of the product, uh, 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 projects that you have mm -hmm. done, um, you, I mean, you're talking about menstruation cycle mm -hmm. right now and, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. We talked mm -hmm. about water, sanitations, toilets mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. and, and I was really curious about knowing the um, effects that your projects are mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about mm -hmm. other projects that you feel? Maybe, um, I don't know if it is not success stories maybe, mm -hmm. but like uh, what kind of projects you have done and what effects they mm -hmm. have generated mm -hmm. in different parts of the, of the mm -hmm. world. Well, I mean, f for me personally, like um, as I said, like my background is um, I used to be a human rights lawyer. Um, so um, one of the, the, the things that, that um, we've done at Wash United is um, we've, we've actively um, supported um, the, the, the advocacy at the UN level for um, the recognition um, of the human rights to water and sanitation, which were recognized by um, the UN Human Rights Council and General Assembly in 2010-2011, respectively. Um, which is a major success, right? I mean, like, um, it's, it's now common knowledge that people don't just have rights to civil and political rights uh, related to freedom of expression and, and the rights to life or economic, social, and cultural rights like housing, but, but also like a right to have access to, to safe drinking water and, and sanitation. And, and menstrual hygiene management place is, is closely associated also with, with, with that right. Um, and we're now working actually with a coalition of organizations, including WaterAid, um, UNICEF, um, ISF Sydney, um, and Simavi in, in, in Holland to translate the human rights to water and sanitation um, into practice. Again, very interesting. It's a it's a pro it's a program that uses design thinking and user centered design to translate human rights from abstract principles into concrete tools that local government officials are not afraid of, but find useful. Because you know, when you go to a local government official 
They, and you say like, hey, human rights, they often feel like, oh God, somebody's going to track me to the International Criminal Court in The Hague if I don't comply. And, and they're really afraid. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like that is what we want to change. We want to change how people perceive human rights from like, you know, something that makes my life more difficult to mm -hmm. something, hey, this is going to help me do a better job. Um, that project is now being implemented um, through Water Aid and other partners in, in already numerous countries and, and showing really, really good results in promoting access to sanitation and, and water services for especially poorest and marginalized people. Um, in, in the field of campaigning, I think like our, our big success story, um, also because again, like it was, it was something where we really changed like a system um, is, is menstrual hygiene day. So as I said earlier, um, our work on, on, on menstrual hygiene was, was sparked in India and we, we realized that there's like a huge gap in terms of advocacy. And I remember, you know, like how we, we sat here, my colleague Ina and I in, in our, in our old office and we were brainstorming. I was like saying, you know, what about, you know, like we, 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 we create an international awareness day and she was like, uh huh. Hey, wow, you know, like, and then we, we started playing around and um, we were like, okay, you know, what if we really created like, said like a certain day was menstrual hygiene day. So a period normally takes 28 days. Um, a, a woman or girl bleeds for five, 28, five, 28 May. Is that day free? Yeah. Okay. Why not? You know? <laughs> and then we were like, okay, but now does, doesn't Ban Ki-moon have to sign off on that? Well, you know, if enough people believe it exists, it exists, right? Yeah. And then we just, you know, talked to a couple of partners, you know, what do you think about the idea? Well, that's interesting. And that was like 2014, we celebrated the first menstrual hygiene day. I think back then we had already something like oh, almost 100 events in, in like dozens of countries last year in 2018, Menstrual Hygiene Day has, has grown to a global movement of more than 500 partner organizations. Um, we had 507 activities in 71 countries. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, grown, it's grown like crazy. I mean, just to give you, and, and again, like this, the, the system changing thing here again is um, Wash United organizes Menstrual Hygiene Day. We develop the campaign strategy with feedback in, in coordination with partners. We, we coordinate all the content development. So we create like a whole suite of like global menstrual hygiene day materials, posters, backdrops, social media communication, all in one tonality, visual design. We do that in English, French, Hindi, Portuguese, Spanish, and this year hopefully also in Arabic. And we share that with everybody Everybody can download it. They can, there is special space now for everybody to include their own branding and logos. There is version of the content where you actually can include your own headlines to contextualize it with your work priorities. So everybody who wants to participate gets free content that they can use to campaign in the digital field and on the ground. And because that is, we give that, all the our partner organizations who don't have the same talent as we have in, in creative content development, yeah. they get creative content development of the best quality for free. They yeah. don't need to invest in that. They can all use all their resources for implementation, organizing the event on the ground, inviting the minister, 
doing something on social media. And, and, and that is the leverage I'm talking about. We, we provide the, 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 the ecosystem, we provide the content, they take it, they run with it. Mm -hmm. That means a whole lot of events around the world because all of these events happen and because everybody uses the same hashtags and the same visual identity, it's not like 500 voices shouting crazy in all directions. It's like a choir singing with 500 voices. So it's one campaign and it's loud. And because it's that, the, the media pick it up. So last year we had, there was a four minute special on CNN. You know, that is because like it's the menstrual hygiene day campaign. And the media pick it up. Last year we had 650 content pieces in digital media alone, like TV, print, radio, we can't measure. Um, and, and, and that then also like is what a leverage of money is. So to, to make MHJ possible, so to say, last year, we raised about $600,000, okay? That okay. is what we need for organizing, supporting partners, creating all the content, paying our people, cr paying the agencies. Our partners, you know, just calculating it in a, in a very, 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 you know, like, um, like um, conservatively, for all the events and activities they did, they invested at least seven and a half million dollars mm. in all the events they did around the world. Now, those events were picked up by the media and the media value of these 650 content pieces, including on, on the likes of CNN, Vogue, Clamour, mm. represents a campaign value of more than $10 million. So like, the $600,000 we invested leveraged seven and a half plus 10 to create like a campaign. If you would buy that, you would have to pay at least 17 and a half million dollars to get it done. And that's, that's again like the, the system, systemic change, you know, like by, by leveraging partnerships like we do, we create this whole kind of like leverage of resources and, and impact that, that none of the organizations individually would be able to.